0: About uh, dignity. Now, dignity is a thing which uh, some people have sung about. A guy called Bob Dylan wrote a song called Dignity and the Loss of It and various other things. And we see sometimes when dignity is uh, mentioned in the Bible, though perhaps not as a word itself, but in the background of things. I want to start off in the book of Acts in chapter 21 in a moment. So just turn there. Um, in this situation here, we find that the Apostle Paul, um, who never heard anybody after. He was baptized in spirit field before that he was lethal, that uh, he had been accused of doing some terrible things by the Jews to the Jews and which against the law. and um, he was here to defend himself many times and we'll see that he did on many occasions. We're going to look particularly at the way he defended himself um, uh, and so there's a couple of scriptures to start off with here, but hang on. You'll get there. There's a storyline. So if you're writing down notes, you might uh, like to make sure you get the scriptures ready. Acts chapter 21 and verse 28. And we read this. And this is the accusers. They were saying, crying out, men of Israel, um, this is the man that teaches all men, Is talking about Paul, "uh, all men everywhere against the people. I don't think he came down to Australia at any stage or to the United States of America, but as far as they were concerned, uh, all men everywhere against the people and the law, it's the law of Israel, and this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple and has polluted this holy place. Now we're going to pick it up again down in Acts 21, verse 37. Uh, Paul tries to make a way to speak to the crowd who were quite angry, because they'd been raised up by these false accusations and so on, and it says in verse thirty-seven, and as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, "May I speak to thee?" Who said, "Canst thou speak Greek? Art thou not that Egyptian which before these days madest uproar and led us out unto the wilderness four thousand men that were murderers?" Isn't that amazing. Rumours get started and somebody makes something up and before you know it, it's fact and that is true of uh, him here and true of us probably sometimes. But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. That means it was fairly large. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak to the people. And when he had given him licence, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people, and when there was made a great silence, he spoke unto them in the Hebrew tongue. That's very important. He spoke to them in the original language of the Hebrews. He just didn't speak in the Greek or the language, whatever was being spoken around the place, but he spoke in the Hebrew tongue. So, men and brethren, chapter 22, verse 1. Men and brethren and fathers, hear ye my defence which I make now unto you. And when they had heard that he spoke of the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept them all silence. And he said, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous towards God. And you all are this, as you all are this day. And I persecuted this way, means this Christian way, unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. So he confesses what he'd done. He'd got the Christians and he took them into prison and even had them killed. And then he tells of the vision and the subsequent conversion uh, on the road uh, as he was, uh, um, road to Jericho, etc., etc. So when we read here that uh, he had told them the story about how he got told about the things of the Lord and now he starts speaking and here comes what we call a sword that breaks the camel's back in this particular time. Acts chapter 22 and verse uh, verse 19. It says, been through a lot of stuff and he says here, and I said, because the Lord had said, I want you to go to your own people. And it says, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, uh, I also was standing by and consenting to his death and kept the raiment or the clothing and the coats of them that slew him. And he, and he said unto me, that's the Lord said to me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Now these were Jews. And to have a person, a, a Jewish person to be sent to the Gentiles was sort of like a a red rag to a bull, really. What are you doing? And they said, and they gave him audience unto this word. They listened to him right up until then. And then they lifted up their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. So these guys are pretty stirred up at this particular stage. We'll keep on reading. We'll go to chapter 22 and verse 24. I had a note in my thing here when they said, you know, it's not, for him, not fit for him, that he should live, et, et It's almost like saying it's just not British. We don't do that. and and, and that's the way it was over there at those times too. Uh, Chapter 22, verse 24. The chief captain commanded him, that's Paul, to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging, that means by whipping, that he might know whereof they cried so against him. He wanted to know why the Jews were so annoyed with him. And as they bound him with thongs, means ropes, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, "It is, is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman? And uncondemned, oh, this is a bit of a worry. You're going to whip a Roman who hasn't even been judged yet? They didn't know he was a Roman. When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. And uh, eventually, because of the Greek judicial system, demanded certain processes to be followed. Uh, Paul was given the opportunity, uh, in this case, to put to King Agrippa to talk to King Agrippa about what had happened. So, pick it up in chapter twenty-six, Acts chapter twenty-six, and verse one, because King Agrippa had said, "I want to talk to this guy," because his wife uh, had, had been as was a Jew as well. And he says, "I want to speak to this guy." In verse twenty-six, verse 1 of 26, Then Agrippa said to Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all things whereof I am accused of the Jews. And you can read on there how he tells his story again and uh, it gives a different story to what the Jews are told. Chapter 26, verse 19, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision because the Lord had told him to go out and preach the gospel, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, and do works meet or worthy of repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me, having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none of the other things than those which the prophets of Moses did say should come. Verse 23, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Uh, Verse 24, and as they thus he spoke thus for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, and Festus was the guy that looked after the treasury, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning does make thee mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus. It's hard to put those two words together, noble Festus. I just can't see it. But speak forth the words of truth and soberness. Now that word, that phrase there, speak forth, is a single a Greek word. I'll pronounce it later on when I've been talking for a while. My mouth is lubricated enough. Uh, the online Bible for this word here is to speak out, to speak forth, or to pronounce. It's not a word of everyday speech, but it is to quote the concordance one belonging to dignified and elevated discourse. When he said speak forth, that's what it is. His discourse was not just for the common man. It's not like your Australian language. It's elevated discourse. It was very carefully thought out. You can just see and listening to Paul's talk that he's not just a, a you know, a, a hippie from out the back of somewhere. He's actually been educated. And they were interested to hear that. Look what happens next in verse 26. For the king knows of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. Paul's words were dignified and they were persuasive. To have been so impressed by Paul's words, um, they must have been phrased appropriately for the situation. They had to be. There were certain rules and stuff. And they weren't the ravings of a man who was out of control and in, worried for his life or anything like that. They belonged to a dignified discourse. Now, I want you to keep that thought in mind. We're going to look at it a bit further on too. Another one. Go back to Acts chapter two. Now, Acts chapter two is telling all about the day of Pentecost when the uh, those who followed Jesus first received the Holy Spirit. They received the Bible evidence of speaking in other tongues, and uh, many were baptized that day. About three thousand souls were added to the church that day as well. It was a big deal. But before that extra baptisms and so on happened here, the disciples had received the Spirit about 120 of them, and they all spoke in tongues. And then uh, we hear Peter speaking verse 14. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, the eleven were the eleven disciples who were there, and said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words or listen to my words. I just want to quote that little, that that simple statement there. The word said, the second part, Peter standing up, lifted up his voice and said, is the same word we heard speak of before there. The word said, it means to speak forth. And it's the same word exactly. Peter spoke with Holy Spirit infused words and they had dignity and they were clear. And you read on in the rest of that passage there, after this where peter is speaking to the jews in the area all the jews had come from all sorts of nations to celebrate the feast of pentecost and peter was speaking to them a simple fisherman and he spoke to them with words which they understood let's go to verse 1 of chapter 2 when the day of pentecost was fully come they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. Distributions of languages, cloven tongues. That's what the tongues means, glossolalia, languages. Cloven on tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The word utterance, interestingly, is the same Greek word exactly. To speak forth, to say. Now, I've got some Greeks with us, and they'll tell me if I'm right or wrong here, and so I'll spell the word for you. A-P-O-P-T-H... so i start again. A-P-O-P-H-T-H-E-G-G-O-M-A-I. I won't tell you what it says. I'll just spell it for you, okay? When the believers... Spoke in tongues. Some thought they were drunk. Why? Because they didn't hear anyone speaking in their language. The language they they had come that were the country they had come from didn't speak any of those languages there. They didn't understand any languages that were spoken. Others did understand some of the languages that were spoken. At least one person was using the same language of their particular country they had come from. In verse 11 here, just read verse 11 with me, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So they weren't just rattling on and making a babbling, etc., as some even religious groups would suggest. that nobody knew what they were saying. Well, that is just not correct according to the scriptures here. Some people knew. They were speaking in languages of other countries, other nations. I just wonder if we might grab a place in history here and say there was possibly someone speaking Australian. What do you think, Mike? Possible? He agrees with me. Helga shaking her head from side to side. Who knows what languages they were? The Bible says we speak in tongues of men and of angels. Anyone heard any angels speaking recently? Maybe some of you have. I'm not saying you haven't. But the Bible says we speak in tongues which we don't understand. Some of them are languages we can understand. Some of the languages we can't understand. So Paul's words were dignified when he spoke. Peter's words were dignified when he spoke. Speaking in tongues were dignified words. Elevated discourse, it says in the discussion statement I read. Elevated, higher level talking. Not words of everyday speech, but they were dignified. So, our preaching, our teaching, our witnessing, the operation of the spiritual gifts, our prayer in the spirit, our understanding of God's word is the same. It's dignified. It's higher level than ordinarily. The Lord by the Holy Ghost is able to and has moved in us in ways which are powerful and elevated. They're more powerful than we can even imagine. I often sat down with Peter and said, isn't the Lord great? And we've all got stories to tell, haven't we? Haven't we all got stories to tell about how great the Lord is? God is so amazing. I sit and listen to people speaking in tongues sometimes. I'm just staggered by the variety but by the clarity of the tongues which we hear. That God is working in our life to do something beyond human thinking or beyond human ability or endeavour. Would you go with me please to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. As I say chapters 12, 13 and 14 are all about the spiritual gifts and chapter 13 in particular about love to make sure that gifts are operated with love, not just there for what we can get out of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 2. For he or that person, the Greek word is, that person that speaks in an unknown tongue, speaks not to men but unto God. For no man understands him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. He's talking about our prayer time here. When we pray in the spirit, when we pray in the spirit, We don't understand what we're saying. Why? Because we're speaking to God. We're not speaking to people in the streets. I've heard it said, and I've even read in a Bible that was published once, that when they received the Holy Spirit, they went down into the streets and started talking to these people in the languages we had so that people could understand what they were saying. Wrong. Not every Bible you pick up has got the truth there. The people received the Spirit in the upper room and people wondered what was happening. And so... The Spirit speaks mysteries. We are not supposed to understand what a person is speaking in the language. It may happen that you do, but it's not what they're set up for. It's there to demonstrate that a miracle is happening here. This person is speaking in a language of another country. Whether it's still around today or not is irrelevant. And we have to be confident that when we're speaking this tongue that God has given unto us, it is dignified and it is an elevated level. It's not just Babel. Let's go to Romans 8. Once we get filled with the Holy Spirit, God changes us. He changes our spiritual state. We get changed from natural to spiritual, from carnal to spiritual, from sinner to saint, from going the wrong way to going the right way. That's God's plan. Romans 8 verse 1, this is the miracle after a person is saved. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit, being prayerful that our lifestyle and words are dignified and elevated by the Spirit of God. That's a person walking in the Spirit. We are prayerful that we are living the way which God wants us to live and that our prayer is appropriate. While we pray in the Spirit, we know it's appropriate because that's God, His Spirit in us, praying for us. Verse 4, please. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. So the righteousness which was supposed to come by the Old Testament law, if people did everything as they are supposed to, and these things were a picture or a type of what was still to come in Jesus Christ. The righteousness which came by keeping the law is fulfilled in us by the Spirit because Christ gave his life that we might be filled with his righteousness. Christ fulfilled the law. We've received Christ, we are counted in God's eyes as worthy of eternity because we have fulfilled the law. We are righteous in God's eyes. Who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, walking God's way. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. What would you rather have? Death or life and peace? It's, it's a lay down Mazea, I think they say. It's the top of the wazza. There's no problem at all. We know what we want here. We want to be spiritually minded so that we can have life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God. Our carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. It doesn't want to be. It can't be, he says. Indeed, it cannot be subject to the law of God because it's carnal. So then they that are in the flesh or walking in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, it is the same Spirit. Don't be fooled by groups that say the two different spirits, no they not. It is the same spirit. If we haven't got the Spirit of Christ, we do not belong to Christ. but if we have the Spirit of Christ and we're walking in the spirit, we belong to Christ. All the people said, what a wonderful what a, what a dignified life we can live Romans eight verse 26 Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us or prays for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The word uttered means, it's a different word to these other ones, it means can't be expressed in words, can't be expressed in our words. The Spirit prays at a different level to what we do. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That is, the Spirit makes intercession for us according to God's will. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. We've been called according to God's purpose. He set a system in place. And one of his systems, systems was that Christ was going to die for the sins of all mankind and those that received that wonderful spirit that he gave out were called. He's the ones who's been calling, those that want to follow him. And so predestination was established. The Lord says, whoever does what I've asked them to do, they're going to be saved. Okay, They're the ones who are going to be saved. He didn't make us believe. That's not what predestination means. It means he set the rules in place and it was up to whoever decided to follow the rules, they would be the ones who were going to make eternal life. When we speak in tongues, we are speaking eloquently in God's view. It's a perfect explaining to the Father what our needs are. It's a perfect Praise to God to thank Him for what He's done. Or it's a perfect interpretation of what we hear in the spiritual gifts. God speaking to us. It's not a word of everyday speech, as I mentioned before. It's special. The Holy Spirit is special. So when you're praying in tongues, rejoice. Listen to your tongue. And ask yourself the question, how does that happen? It happens, why? Because the Lord himself is in you. The Spirit of the Most High God dwells in you and he is doing the speaking. So the words are wonderful. Rejoice in what you hear yourself saying while you're speaking in tongues. It's God's work in you, God's evidence to you that he is there. Let's pray. Not right now, but when we do pray. For the use of the spiritual gifts as well. All of the spiritual gifts. Not just tongues, interpretation and prophecy. But all of the spiritual gifts. That the church and visitors may be uh, uplifted and encouraged. There's all sorts of gifts. There's gifts of healing, there's gifts of faith, there's gifts of teaching, etc, etc. So let's pray for all of those things. That uh, our visitors and we may be convicted in our hearts and our thoughts about what we hear, about what we read, about what we see, about what we do, about what we see others do, to follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray that when we are witnessing to people that our speech is elevated and dignified. We're not putting people down, we're not this and we're not that. Rather, it is good and it's discussing with people their situation let's understand that our prayer is perfect in the Spirit. No matter what age you are, no matter what occupation you have, no matter anything, as you're praying in the Spirit, your language is perfect. I want to turn over to Proverbs in the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 2. There's a wonderful verse here. And I think this verse explains how we can now be because we are filled with the Spirit of the living God. We understand God's Word. Proverbs 2 verse 1, let's go. My son or my daughter, my child, in other words, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, don't let anyone steal it, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, Yes, if you cry after knowledge, you really want it, calling out for it, and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her, wisdom and understanding, as silver and search for her as for hid treasures. It's pretty good, isn't it? Imagine searching for hid treasures. The pirates of old. They traveled thousands of miles to go to places where on the map it showed a cross and that's where the treasure was. And we are told, let's search for the wisdom and the knowledge of God in the same way. We search for it and search for it. We read our Bibles, we pray, we discuss with other people. What does this mean? We want the wisdom. Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He lays up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keeps the paths of judgment and preserves the way of the saints. Then thou shalt understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. When wisdom enters into your heart and knowledge is pleasant to thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee. Understanding shall keep thee, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaks froward things, or lying things, false things. This whole passage out of the Old Testament, probably around about 900 years before Jesus was on the scene here, screams of people who are looking for integrity, for truth, for righteousness, for elevated discourse, something which is higher than the common persons. The Holy Spirit is power, and all the people said, the Holy Spirit in us is power. He inspires us to live according to his power, his authority and his wisdom. I suggest to you that walking in the power of the Spirit of God is exactly what our Heavenly Father wants because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. And we are encouraged to live like Christ is, like Christ did. In First John 4, 9, don't turn to it, I'm just going to quote it, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. So we live through Christ. And we find that if we do live through Christ, things go well for us. And all the people said, be dignified. God bless. Thanks.